discussion with Dr. Farid Holaku. Good evening and welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. Our studio number again is 310-441-0555. Before I get into the book of the week from this past week, I'll announce the book of the week for this week. It is The Moral Animal by Robert Wright. The Moral Animal why We Are the Way We Are, The New Science of Evolutionary Psychology. This book is a little bit older, but um, I'm a big fan of Robert Wright. Um, I read his book last year, Why Buddhism is True, and uh, this is his classic book, and my brother Parham um, also read it and highly recommended it to me. It's a bit on the longer side, and that actually gets to the next thing I wanted to mention, which is I won't be doing shows next week. I will be out of town. So I'll talk about this book in two weeks. Um, and I'll announce another book of the week Wednesday for the week that I'm gone. And then I'll do two weeks on uh, two books on the week that I get back. So uh, the book of the week for this week is The Moral Animal by Robert Wright. But again, I won't be talking about it for two weeks. All right. That was all about timing and the book of this uh, past week that I'll talk about tonight is called When the Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing by Daniel H. Pink. When. And so the book, as the title suggests, is all about timing. And very often we focus on the what of things, which of course is very important, but we can at times neglect the when, that timing matters, when we do things, the time of day matters. Um, beginnings, endings, middles matter. And that's what this book was all about. And it had a lot of practical advice, which I thought was good. Uh, at times, things can be simplified, I felt, in the way that he wrote certain things. For example, talking about midlife crises, and he said, it's complicated, but then here are four ways to help with it. Sometimes I think things like that could be more complicated than that. But nonetheless, there was a lot of really interesting information in this book. For example, um, looking at the time of day, something that we might neglect, that we just go through our day and might not realize how significantly we could be impacted by what time of day it is and what we're doing. Um, he talks about how a lot of people go through this afternoon down period, really in a lots of different ways, but even in our mood. So our positive mood, for most people, they have a a significant rise early in the late morning, you can say so earlier in the day, but then in the afternoon they have this lower period. And then again in the afternoon, sometimes maybe you'll consider it like a second wind, but we start to feel good again. And the same can even be said of our energy and how we can focus and things of that nature. However, although this is the case that most people have this rise in this fall, um, we also have different what they call chronotypes. 
And we maybe have heard of people saying, and I say this about myself a lot of times, that they are a night owl, meaning that they prefer nights and late nights and don't like the mornings as much. Well, it seems like this actually is true. So he has a section in the book where he talks about larks, owls, and third birds. So larks are people who are actually more early risers and actually uh, feel more focused and alert in the morning, and that owls prefer the evenings and nights. But then third birds um, are people in the middle. So most people are not pure uh, larks. The morning people are pure owls. Night people, most people, about 65%, are actually more somewhere in the middle. About 14% are larks, who really prefer the early morning. And then about 21% are owls, the people who prefer night. And this can inform you if you find out which type of person, or in this case, which type of bird you are, when could be best to plan certain things in your day. Uh, maybe you'll be more alert in the evening or afternoon. And that actually is the case for me. I prefer doing things a little bit later in the day. Um, and reading this part about the chronotypes, it made sense that it fit with me and how I like to uh, make my weeks and my days go. Um, so the time of day matters, but also different people can respond differently to different times of days. He also had a great chapter on things like breaks. And I liked this chapter because a lot of times in this, in a competitive type of um, profession or just in general, people are competing about how much they get done and how hard they work. We could look at things like breaks and naps as something negative or something that makes you lazy or not a hard worker. But the research shows us that breaks are very important, that if we ignore them, um, we actually will be doing worse work. So in trying to be so productive and look so good, we actually can do worse work. And if we look at the science, we see that it's so important to take breaks, that it affects our performance significantly. And actually in that chapter on breaks, he talks about, um, he kind of produces this analogy of a place called the hospital of doom, where all these bad things happen, but I won't say it in the way he does, but he's talking about hospitals in the afternoon and how we see many more errors being detected or happening in the afternoons rather than in the mornings or the evenings. Again, following this pattern that in the afternoons, we tend to have a low, both in mood and energy. So for example, during that time period in the afternoon, um, gastroenterologists are less likely to find uh, um, polyps during a colonoscopy. There's a 26% chance or more likely chance that an internist will prescribe unnecessary antibiotics for a viral infection, which is not good. And even nurses and other caregivers are 10% less likely to wash their hands during the afternoon. It's kind of amazing to, to think that and that we... Um, it wouldn't think that it makes a difference if your colonoscopy was at 10 in the morning or 4 p.m., but it actually might make a difference. So you might want to think about that. But also he talks about how we can try to avoid this afternoon low or the things that happen and things like breaks and even naps can be a big part of that. And that was, again, what I thought was interesting because when you think of naps, a lot of times if people... Even in being funny, they might talk about napping as something that means they're lazy that they love to nap or they're nappers or people will say, I never nap in a way of showing how alert 
they like to be and how hardworking they are and they're too busy to take a nap. But actually it might be important for us to consider taking naps. Um, he mentions the research showing that it could be good for our cognitive performance and improve our mental and physical health. Um, and so we shouldn't think that breaks and uh, naps are bad things. And it really does affect our performance. I was saying even medical professionals, we see them making huge difference in the amount of uh, mistakes they can make. Um, but even things like judges or parole boards. And I've read this study before, but he talked again about these um, judges who were giving parole hearings and how they were much less lenient when it came time for a break, which some people thought maybe it's because they're hungry, which it could be that, and they need lunch or something to eat, or also they're getting tired and they need a break. But when you look at the chart that he has here that I'm looking at, you see that people, uh, the judges in the morning are much more likely to be lenient on the people during their hearings and grant them parole. But then when you get closer to their lunchtime, the rate of giving parole becomes almost close to zero, gets very low. Then they have a break and they come back and then it shoots back up to around 60% and then drops down steadily to a lower rate. And then after a break spikes and this really, you know, when you read that, it, it's like, oh, interesting study. But then you realize these are people's lives that are at stake. Of course, in the medical conditions uh, that I was talking about before, the medical situations, that can be people's health and their life. But here also people are, their freedom is being at stake. And it could be determined by something so unrelated, how hungry or tired or in need of a break the judges are. And we'd like to think that judges are people who function on rationality and thinking and would not be affected by something like how they feel emotionally or how they feel physically, but they are human beings and they are affected by these things. So we should not take these things lightly and should recognize the importance of taking breaks, being aware of how we're doing, planning breaks, um, and making sure they're part of our schedule, not thinking that taking a break means you're being lazy or not a hard worker, it actually can mean you want to make sure you're doing the best work you can do. And the same goes for naps. He himself, Daniel Pink, the author, says he used to hate naps and thought it was a bad thing. But then after reading the research and seeing how helpful it could be, he started doing them and he sees that it's really beneficial and he's making it part of his routine. He even talks about something called a nappuccino, which I don't think I could do, um, but the way it goes is that because it takes about 20, 25 minutes for caffeine to really get into your system, according to what he was saying here, what you do is you have some coffee and then you take about a 20 minute nap and then you wake up and you get the double benefit of getting the nap, which gives you that refreshing and restorative break. But then also the caffeine starts to kick in as soon as you wake up and then boom, you can really get going. I don't know if I'd be able to do that but I usually take a while to fall asleep. He said on average people take about seven minutes, but I feel like it takes me longer. But anyway, the nappuccino is something real and I guess something lots of people do. And if you can do it, you can get a great benefit from it. But anyway, naps can be very helpful. But as you might have heard, we sometimes have this term, the power nap. It does seem that about a 20-minute nap is the optimal level because if you take a longer nap, you take a longer time to recover and get your cognitive functioning back so you lose some time in that way so it can be better to actually uh, take a shorter nap something like 20 minutes helps so that was a whole chapter that was talking about um, 
breaks and naps and how important they are. And it was good for me to read that, to remember that, yeah, taking breaks and napping is not something that makes you not hardworking or means that you should be hard on yourself and keep working through when you're tired. Sometimes taking a break means you'll actually do better work and the science supports that. And there are also three different chapters looking at beginnings, middles, and ends, which were uh, interesting to see the different things that can be a part of that. But something that was interesting about the beginnings was we can make our own beginnings. And by that, I mean, as you might expect, New Year's and that first couple of weeks of the year, many people go to the gym or the people who are working out, the percentage increases. We all know about that or would assume that based on people's New Year's resolutions or even you've experienced it going to the gym yourself more in the early part of the year and seeing more people at the gym. But they also found that on all firsts, we see more people working out. Um, the start of a new week, start of a new month, even after a federal holiday, we see that, or start of a new semester, um, after your birthday. People can create a beginning anywhere. It is, in a way, arbitrary. Um, but we do see people get a, re, re, a feeling of motivation to get out and do something. And so in this book, he talks about how you can create your own beginnings by making, in some way, arbitrary first that allow you to then use that to your advantage to be like, okay, I'm starting with a clean slate. Um, as he puts it, you can, you open a new mental account and get going. And I'm sure all of you and I've related to this feeling of, okay, I'm going to start dieting on Monday feeling. And there, it, you're not the only one that does that. It seems like a lot of people do that, but we can try to use this uh, concept of first to get ourselves going. Um, another interesting thing for me was looking at middles and how Oftentimes they can work to make us say either, as he puts it, uh-oh or oh-no. Oh-no means we get halfway through the time we have for a deadline and we think, oh no, I don't think I can do this. And it makes us want to give up and we actually try less hard. But then also there can be a um, uh-oh feeling of, okay, we're halfway through and we haven't done much. Let's get started. And that's exactly what they find, that in a lot of different types of projects and different businesses, we see that people... Uh, when they're given a, a deadline or if they're given an amount of time, it's usually right around the middle that they start to actually do the real work. There's more at the beginning of time of planning or thinking about things or feeling things out, but usually halfway through, they're like, uh-oh, we got to get going. And that's what they actually do. And it was interesting that is in different fields, we see this happen. What I thought was interesting in, in a similar vein was looking at NBA basketball games. And they found that teams who were losing by one point at halftime, there was a study that looked at, I think, something like 18,000 games, but teams that were losing by one point were actually at an advantage over teams who were up by one point. And that's surprising because, of course, that's a two-point difference to be down by one as opposed to being up by one point. And what they, the way they understood with this was that when you're down by one, of course, you're close, but you feel like you have more work to do, and that can motivate you to work even harder, be like, okay, you know what? We got to get it going. We're losing, but we're close. So we'll get motivated and try harder. And sometimes being up by one might give you this false feeling that you're winning by a lot or that you can take it easy. But so he says how we can try to look at ourselves halfway through something and be motivated what we've done, but also have this mindset that we're, we're close. We have to work a little bit harder to achieve what we want to achieve. And I thought that was, um, pretty interesting. And the chapter about endings also was quite fascinating. For example, 
people are much more likely to run their first marathon in a year where their age ends in 9, 29, 39, 49, um, than other years, or 28 or even 30. And it's that we get to the end of a decade and we feel kind of uh, motivated to make something happen before that decade ends. Again, we have these arbitrary ways of cutting our lives up or looking at time that are sometimes not really important, but because in our mind it means something, they make us act in certain ways. So if you're turning 39 this year, maybe it'll be a year you try something new and try to do something that you're proud to accomplish. Um, also, we see that people tend to judge people based on how they live at the end of their lives. They've done studies where they give people two different stories of the same person uh, with a slight twist. Either they were good at the beginning of their life, for example, a CEO who was very charitable and good to his employees, but then at the end of his life, he gets kind of bad and more selfish and greedy, or the reverse, someone who was bad for most of their life, but at the very end, changes and becomes good. And they find that people rate the person that went from bad to good much better than the person who went from good to bad. And this way, it seems that we think that how people are at the end of their lives reveals their true self in a way, which I thought was kind of interesting. Even if the person was good for a longer period of time, um, they were actually judged to be worse than the person who was good at the end of their life, even if they were bad for most of their life. So this book, uh, you know, obviously there's so much more in it. And as I said, there's a lot of practical advice, which can be helpful. So um, it is a good book to keep in mind that we always think about the what, even for example, students taking tests, they find that kids that take their standardized tests in the afternoon do worse than kids that do it in the morning. Going back to that idea that we tend to have this lull in the afternoon. And that seems really unfair and something we should think about. Is it fair to give kids tests in the afternoon and then compare them with other people who are taking the test in the morning? Probably not. And we should be aware of these things. So it is important for us to focus on the when of things, not just the what. Uh, and that's what this book is about. When the Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing by Daniel H. Pink. And then again, the book of the week for this week is The Moral Animal, Why We Are the Way We Are, The New Science of Evolutionary Psychology by Robert Wright, which again, talking about the when, I won't be talking about it next week. I'll be talking about that in two weeks. All right, we've reached our first commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Yes, I'm here. Hi, thanks for calling. Hello, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Yes, uh, should I go? Yes, go ahead, yeah. And yeah. I know we talked briefly about the, before the break, you mentioned you had called before, um, but just for me and for the listeners, we'll, we'll start almost from scratch, just because people were maybe not listening then, and I wouldn't remember all the details anyway. So uh, go ahead, remind sure. me of the situation, and then uh, we'll go from there. My call was about uh, my wife, who is going through an existential crisis right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It started by uh, one of uh, the death of one of her colleagues that she didn't actually know him much, but it's because she moved to that job just recently, and then that colleague died, and then she was very much depressed. And after that, she was... Uh, so much depressed that she was always crying and uh, 
you know, it was not getting better. And she even, uh, in at some point, she even had thoughts of hurting herself. And then she started going to therapists. And then she was going to, to the therapist uh, a couple times a week. And after a month or so, she also came to me that uh, the therapist has said not to tell you this, but I want to tell you that I don't feel that uh, connection and love that we used to have anymore. And I think that I'm very, I feel very distant from you. And this was, uh, although the, the, all the previous things were very hard on me because I was seeing her suffering, but this was especially harder because I was now afraid that our relationship may also get affected and in this time that she is healing or whatever, it may have some damages beyond repair. And I was really afraid. And I called you about it mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago and you mentioned that probably this distance that is between you and uh, I want to mention you this that she mentioned that this distance has not started in the last two months that the existential crisis started but it has started even before that a, couple, mm-hmm. a few months before that and then uh, I mentioned this to you and you said that probably we have grown apart and uh, although there was a uh, love and we felt a very strong connection in the beginning we may have not had maintained it, and that's why this may have happened. Right, or even if I recall, and what I'm thinking now is that there might not have been as close as a connection as you thought, or maybe it wasn't that close at all, and one or both of you was okay, and even hearing you say it now, maybe you are okay with not so deep a connection, but she wants something deeper, but those are all some of the possibilities that came to mind. But yes, go ahead. No, I think that we were the, the connection that we had in the beginning were was really strong. You know, we we were very much in love, and this is this was something that uh, it's, it's beyond doubt. So okay. we both of us know that. But you also mentioned that I wanted to mention you this that you also said that either me or her may have been holding back. Yes, that's probably why this there has uh, this uh, distance has emerged and i actually thought about it a lot mm-hmm. after our talk and in some cases especially the case of having kids it might be true and that i may have held back some some things because not that i i didn't want to tell her because it was not even solved for myself but uh, again, uh, I went back and saw all the, for example, the, because I couldn't believe that she was, when she was saying that this has started uh, a while ago, say maybe six, seven months ago, I couldn't believe that. And I went through all the messages that we used to send to each other, you know, we text each other every day, mm-hmm. and it, when we are at work or so, and I look at those messages that she was expressing her feelings to me, it was not not like those, you know, regular messages that when you say goodbye, you say I love you, such those kind of things. But just writing a message, it, it, it takes to you just for the sake of writing that and telling how much uh, you appreciate or you are in love and all these sorts of things that there were until the end of 
until even the January. It was just, they were all over there. Mm-hmm. And I took actually pictures of those messages and sent them to her that, you know, when you say you, you didn't feel, you, you didn't feel closeness even six months ago, then what were these? And she was shocked, actually. And she said, now that I'm seeing these, I even feel scared that what has happened to me? That now I, have, I don't even remember telling you these things. Hmm. And this was kind of very shocking. And meanwhile, I also want to mention that she is reading uh, Dr. Irwin Yalom's uh, existential psychotherapy book. Uh-huh. And she read it completely. And during which, it, every few pages that she was reading, she was crying. And because mm. it, I think it was connecting with her uh, really good. And uh, then she was also doing, the, there was this, uh, this identification exercise that you write down what, how you define yourself. For example, I am this guy's wife, I am, that, I am an engineer, I am this, I am that and then try to practice to let it go. And she was doing that. <laughs> maybe this is just a crazy thought that I have, but maybe those mm. things also has added to this, this feeling. But, yeah, yeah. this is just... It, it is yeah. a little... Con- I'm sure you, I know you're a little confused, and I could see why, because it's not clear what's changed, and it seems like she had a significant change. Actually, in the book I was talking about today, has it's not really a book on at all about midlife crisis, just one little uh, part of a chapter was about that and how people can look at their lives and think of, they feel like, okay, half or they're feeling like an ending is coming and how am I living my life? It just seems like it's such a big change that it surprised you and even in what she was saying, it has surprised her. I still wonder about the closeness. It's not to somehow undermine your relationship, but that something wasn't there or even how she says i've not felt so close for six months but then now she's not sure or you didn't notice it i'm not sure what was going on but something seems off to me still either something was happening with her and she hasn't told you everything i don't know if she's getting involved with anything else or anyone else may or... i add something yes here. of course yes uh, you know she is the first child and then the, she has a, a sibling who is six years younger than her mm-hmm. so because of that psychology she didn't like kids and I I was not that much into kids either but eventually we we listened to Dr. Holakui's programs all the time and we kind of thought that you know this is a good idea although we don't like it that's something that you know we should think of because this is our problem that we don't like it and this was something Wait, that we is, should have a kid because it's the right thing to do yes okay i mean i don't yeah. i i understand i think having a child makes sense but it only makes sense if you want it and you should definitely want it really bad not just feel like we should do it or because someone like my father might say or i might say it's healthy to want a child and then so you should think you should want the child. You have to actually want it, just like even wanting marriage. Um, if you don't want it, you shouldn't force it just because it's a time or social pressure. Or to, yes, this yeah. is also another thing that happened. All our friends during the last fall got, got babies. All of them kind of, kind of, four of them were pregnant and got kids mm-hmm. the last fall. 
And I think this also triggered some thoughts that, you know, not everybody is a mother and I'm not. And at the same time, we uh, again talked with uh, your father about this. There was some uh, psychological history, problem history in her side, which was uh, schizophrenia. And that uh, mm-hmm. your father mentioned that he suggested not to have kids of our own. And then she was thinking that now that this is because of me, kind of, since it's my fault that we cannot have our kids. So she was feeling, I think, the pressure that was on her that not, I'm, I'm guilty. And you want kids, which I didn't want, and now I cannot give it to you. And at that moment, she was also expressing the op- uh, option of adopting kids. And I was not okay with that because, okay. you know, I was not okay with that. I didn't have any reason not to be okay. Yeah, so what, why do you think you're not? Yeah, it is a big yeah. step and it's not something you, you should know, take lightly. It was, no, that it's, it's only six months later. I think <laughs> I'm okay with it. But at that moment when we talked about it, it was all news to me. And it, it was kind of, I, I have never thought about that. And I have never seen a person having an adopted kid. Mm-hmm. So this was kind of an unknown thing in my mind. So this was something that I was just get, getting distant from it. No, I don't want that. But there was no rational or even, uh, you know, feeling that I... I, I, I cannot reason it anyway. Well, here's it. Let me let me stop you there for a second because you say there's no rational or you can't reason it, and I at times can have issue with this word rational because I don't know exactly what it means, and especially with something like this when it comes to having kids, your emotion matters a lot or the way you feel is very important because you have to I feel. I don't even have a negative emotion towards that now. So to you, you're telling me adoption and having your own kid is makes no difference. Okay. Usually that's not the case, even if, unless someone really wants to adopt and has some personal significance. But I'm still getting this sense from you, and I think I, I felt but it and I, said, said it last time. Let me, I'll just finish this thought that at times you can put your own feelings away. And even though what you just said, well, because there's no rational reason, I, I'm concerned that you would just put your feelings away. And when it comes to having a kid or adopting a kid, your feelings are a big part of making that decision. Just like if you're choosing to marry someone, of course, you have to be rational and look at a lot of things, but you also have to look at your feelings because it's an emotional relationship as well. It's a big part of making the decision. So it, it seems like you just wanted to erase the feelings. That's how I heard it. I understand you saying she brought it up and you were shocked and your first response was no, which is usually what we say when someone brings up something new and unexpected. But I don't want you to ignore your feelings. And even I feel like I'm not sure how you feel about what your wife is going through, what has been your experience emotionally. Let's remove, we can't exactly explain why she's feeling or what she's doing. How do you feel, though? Um, At first, I was very sad that that's her, she's crying and she's so, so much hurting. I couldn't, it was very hard to see her in that pain. And but what about I, your experience? Not to be able to do anything. But how did you feel about her? How did you feel about her telling you she wasn't sure about you or the the relationship? Yeah, after that he mentioned that I was really hurt. Sure. And I, it was really hurting. But I just told her that 
it's okay and you know this is that now you you don't you are in a very bad situation in this situation you may feel things differently and i try to just not to take it personally and uh, be positive about this thing that this is just a phase and it may go away and things go back and also i was reading a lot <laughs> about this uh, midlife crisis and mm-hmm. existential crisis that what happens and there there were also things that about their what the partners should do in, in these cases and they were mentioning that uh, do not take it personally call off the pursuit and give mm-hmm. her space all these kind of things yeah. but i i don't know how much truth is in this because these are the things that i'm just reading i, I just wanted your opinion also about it well, sure. and also yeah Yeah, and also, I, it, although the, all these things is very hard to see these things and not to say anything and mm-hmm, give space, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it, although it's very hard, and I'm afraid that she may get more distant if I give her space, and probably it's my reaction, and it's wrong, but if I want your opinion, that how, what's your opinion on giving the space, and if you are positive about it, How do you define that? Yeah, well, that's the thing that makes it hard. Even I do think absolutely you you have to give her space. We have to give everyone space, even if it's our partner, because we can't, if we try to force them or pressure them into one way of thinking or feeling or another, that's not going to work long term anyway. And so obviously you have to give her that space. Now, that doesn't mean you abandon her either or you don't stay close to her. You can do that. And it's about balancing it and also giving her space It's not something like I can say, okay, you need to put three feet between this electrical wire and something else. Space is much more um, subjective. You know, you have to see what she needs. So she might say, I want closeness, or she might say, I need more space, or what exactly space means to her might not be what it is to you. So even that will need to be communicated about. But she needs to have some space. But I do want to get more of a sense of where she is at now. And I think it is good that you're thinking more about you because trying to figure her out you won't be able to do it anyway and plus she's still figuring it out so even if let's say you figured her out for today because of where she is in this crisis if you want to call it that or trying to figure herself out and her situation out it, that might change whatever she is t- today might not be the same tomorrow or in a month from now so let's go to a commercial break after we'll come back and, and continue our conversation okay thank you sir. sure you're listening to in session with dr fatty delacqui we'll be right back Welcome back. We were with the caller before the break. Let's go to him now. Caller, are you still there? Yes. Okay. So, um, as I mentioned before the break, what's been going on lately? What's what is she saying at this point, and um, where do you guys stand now? Um, she was saying that uh, the the more it goes ahead, I think no future for our relationship. I think that uh, you know I may not want to live with you anymore and uh, these are the things that i've heard these are the latest news okay and i'm i'm can't, can't imagine that's easy for you to hear no yeah so but it does seem like you want to and i don't want to say believe because we don't know what it is but in a way you want to believe it's a phase that she doesn't really feel this way or she's going to come out of this yes okay Now, she might, um, 
And I would hope, you know, you can't force her. Let's say she continues on this path. We don't know what's going to happen. Uh, and she still feels the same way. I would hope she at least gives you and gives you guys a chance to, to make it work. How long have you guys been married? Six years. Six years, yeah. I mean, no, no matter what, I would hope. Is, We've especially... been together six years. Okay. Yeah. yeah, been together six years. Married for how long? Three. Three, okay. Yeah. Um, I would hope she gives you guys a chance. You know, um, sometimes we think we can have a different relationship, or if we want a different relationship, it has to be with a different person, but sometimes actually we can realize we can have a different relationship with the same person but we can create a different relationship. So maybe there's that possibility there. Uh, I still feel like something might have been missing. She says six months ago, but it could have even been from the beginning. Um, and I know she's going to the, her own therapy. I think I might have mentioned you going to your own therapy last time. I can't remember if we talked about that. No, we didn't talk. I just mentioned that I, I suggested that if there is a need, I will join also to for a couple therapy or whatever but her uh, therapist has said that there is no need for that. right i think i remember that yes but i'm saying for yourself yeah i think if she's open to it at some point for you guys to go to couples therapy would be a good idea but um it, it, i think it would be good for you to go to your own therapy to get in touch with your own feelings of what you're going through which must be difficult because in a lot of ways it seems like you feel like you just have to wait which is always the hardest especially when you feel like you have no control when she says i want space or she makes it seem like there's nothing you can do that must be very difficult for you to just have to sit there and wait so it might not be bad for you to go to your own therapy to explore what's happening um but like i said i hope she'll give you and you guys a chance to at least go to therapy to see is it possible unless something is going on that she hasn't told you or she's really made some kind of decision in her mind that she doesn't want to budge on. But it, it is strange, and that's why I can understand why you're puzzled as to what has shifted so significantly in this short amount of time that might have been sparked by a death of someone that it appears she wasn't even that close to. And I remember last time I asked you if she had any significant losses to death in her life, and you said there wasn't really anyone. Uh, sometimes um, if we haven't properly grieved a previous loss a new loss will trigger those feelings or that those unresolved feelings and that can lead to a reaction that's more than we would likely res uh, expect from the loss um, I even suspected I didn't want to put the idea into your head of was there some kind of relationship between her and this person that was more than you knew about um, but something seems to have happened where she seems to think something about her life like you're saying that's like lacking meaning or the relationship lacks meaning or something is there. And so when you do have the chance, it would be good for you to explore that with her. What does she want? What's missing in this relationship? Um, I actually asked her, okay. and she says that the, the, the problem is this. I don't know. Hmm. <laughs> she, she says that, this, that, and this is what's hurting me because I don't know what I want. Yeah. If I knew I didn't have, I wasn't in this much misery. She doesn't know what she wants, and... Probably one reason, this is what I think, because we usually take care of each other a lot. This is one, one day of thought that she's probably saying these things because she, is, she thinks that she may be like this and I am being hurt in this relationship, so it's better to 
finish this relationship so I may not get hurt. Well, that's and that's what I was talking about. I know you're saying it's like protecting each other, and even like yeah. that was brought up in the fact of like having kids and who, are you mad or she's mad. It, there's a lot of this is what I meant about being open. That there's a way of we these are the uncomfortable conversations we need to have. That even and we should feel that our partner is so open that they're not going to be hiding some big feelings about something almost like out of uh, using a Persian word of like tarof of like, well, it might hurt him or because he's hurt, but he'll think it'll hurt me to tell me he's hurt. He's not going to tell me. We should feel that they're going to tell us. And so if they don't tell us, then they are okay or they're doing, doing all right. And if there's something there, they will tell us. But there seems to be a lot of this. Well, because I think you might be hurt, I should leave because you won't tell me you're hurt, but I should assume you're hurt or guess that you're hurt. And that's that's where I think there is the, a lack of connection or a lack of openness that needs to be there in the relationship. That a husband and wife or two partners need to be able to talk about things and say, I'm hurt or I'm, even I'm unsatisfied in the relationship. Or um, I even tell partners to have these conversations often, check in about how each person feels in the relationship. How loved do they feel? What are they happy about in the relationship? What are they unhappy or unsatisfied? And these are uncomfortable conversations if we have them genuinely. Because at times we might feel okay, but our partner is not, or vice versa. And you talked about not taking things personally before. It's very hard for the person not to, or for it not to feel like it's some kind of crisis. But relationships have ups and downs. And so we can want to pretend like everything is always good and we're okay and we feel good and no problems. But that's not how genuine relationships work. That's not how, you know, a relationship is like a living thing. And just like a living thing gets sick, gets hurt, has, you know, it, sometimes it's feeling good, sometimes it's feeling bad. The same is true of a relationship. So that's a concern I have. Yes. Yeah, last time that you mentioned this, I actually asked her. I sit her down and asked her that, please tell me if there is anything wrong in our relationship. I, I want to know. Now, this is not going to hurt me more than mm -hmm. the things that you have already said. So... To yeah. Tell me and what's wrong, and if there is anything that has gone wrong, I want to know. And she just said that you know why are you taking it, it personally? And this is something that is in me, something that's happening with me. And our relationship is very good. And and even she was saying that even if I if, even if we separate, I really want to be very good friends with you because you are the best person that I have ever known. And these kind of things she was saying. Well, and, yeah, and that's, I mean, the way she's talking is as if you guys, I hate to say this, but are are not going to be together. Or she doesn't want you guys to be together. Um, talking about, I want us to be friends and those kinds of things. Uh, but it's, it's unclear because it seems like she's saying she doesn't know what she's unhappy about, but she knows she doesn't want this. Um, yeah. I can see how that's confusing to you. It's confusing to me as well. And it's not exactly clear what's happening there. But it's still in the fact that she's saying, I think I'm hurting you, unless she's saying that sometimes... No, she hasn't said that. That's oh. something that I thought. Okay. Well, I would even bring that up to her attention. So you're saying you're afraid she thinks she's hurting you and she should leave because this is hurting you? That's what I thought. That's okay. just one possibility. Well, Maybe you can share that with her. Probability, Maybe. Okay. But you can even share that with her, that this crossed my mind. And I want you to know, well, let her know whatever. I can't tell you what you're feeling, but it seems like you're saying that's, even though you're hurt, you don't want her to end it for that reason, correct? I didn't understand. Yeah, it was a little bit not, not so clear. You, you know, you're saying you're, you're 
a low probability you think she thinks she's hurting you, so she might end the relationship to stop hurting you, right? Probably. Right, but then you can let her know that that's not the case, that even though what we're going through is hard for me, I wouldn't want you to end the relationship for that reason. I would want us to see if we can work it out. Um, I, and it could yeah, be... I have mentioned that already. Okay, good. It, it could be that she's feeling guilty, unfortunately, sometimes because we don't want to hurt the other person, we can you know, say, well, it's because it's hurting you, I'm going to break up with you, which is not really fair to the person because we're not taking the responsibility of what's going on. So people a lot of times are looking for a reason to, to blame it or put it on the other person. Oh, it's because I care about you so much and I'm going to hurt you or I'm not giving you what you want, so I'm going to end it. You can say I what you want, I can't give you and I don't want to have that kind of relationship, so I want to leave. But it's not really fair to say it's because it's hurting you, I'm going to leave in some way trying to come off noble and deflect the guilt. So there could be some of that, because in a lot of the language you say she's using, it seems like she thinks it's not going to work out. I hope she'll give it a chance, because something could be there. But still, I still get the sense that there's a some kind of lack of closeness. It doesn't mean you guys don't love each other. It doesn't mean even you're not in love with each other, or feel in love, or you feel that. But something to me, in the way you talk about the communication, makes me wonder if there was a lack of openness or not enough, not lack as in there's none, but not enough openness and genuineness and vulnerability that somehow got in the way. But I don't know, it could have been something in her that changed. You know, you talked about there is some mental illness in her family. There could have been some kind of shift she's going through that's that's unclear what's going on. And I can understand that for you, this is very difficult. One, because of everything that's going on. And two, how out of your power and control it seems to be that it, it can seem like there's nothing you can do that must be very challenging and so yes giving her her space to me makes sense but as i mentioned before space is something that can be different from person to person we definitely want to give her the space because we can't force her or push her or pressure her in any way but we want to give her that space but it doesn't mean you guys have to not be communicating or you don't talk to her or you have to be separate from each other to have space space is a physical thing in a way but more psychological and it, it varies from person to person so i would hope you keep that communication open with her and at some point you can even let her know i hope you'll give us a chance to at least see if this can be you know what you want it to be or what's going on or hopefully she'll give you some understanding of what's going on because you're no, very much very in the dark open with that. i actually asked her that would please give it a chance and don't decide any on anything mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yet Give it a year or something and do go to your yeah. therapy. After a year, if you want to separate, okay, but don't do it right now. Yeah, I and, just looked at the time. I'm so sorry I should have given you a little warning before, but we do have to wrap yeah. up the show. But I can understand this is a, it's a lot for you to deal with, and I hope you continue to make sure you take care of yourself. That's why I recommended you go to your own therapy too in this process because that's something that is in your control. What she does, you can't. As a final question, do you have any suggestions to to me that how you said that you 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 see some lack of closeness is there anything that we can do to restore that to kind of well uh, you know it? closeness is something that you create together and it's like climbing a mountain so it's not like you can just jump to the top you have to go step by step 
And But where she's at right now, she's not going to be open to it. But if you guys do decide to create that relationship, it's something you can reflect on. Because there's some signs you give me that there's some lack of closeness when people are assuming in the relationship he might be feeling, she might be feeling. It shows that either the person is hiding and they think the other person is too, and really uh, there might be some lack of connection. Again, I do have to go because I'm actually now over time. Yeah, okay. But again, it was nice talking to you. Have a wonderful night. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you to our caller there, and thank you to all the listeners and to Amir here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. Have a wonderful night.